Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Breaking Down Benefits podcast. My name is Jason Rothman. I am an employee benefits attorney here at Ogletree Deacons and a shareholder in the Cleveland office. My question for you today is, is your wellness plan healthy? I ask this question because in my practice, for a number of years, I've been working with employers on their wellness plans. And as time goes on, the legal landscape changes or there's things going on in the public that uh, results in employers reevaluating or looking at wellness plan design, whether it's new wellness plans or tweaking current wellness plans. And as you can guess, in light of the COVID situation that we find ourselves living in these days, a number of employers are considering COVID vaccine incentives. And so that raises some wellness plan considerations. And, you know, on, on top of it, Uh, It also results in some additional conversations, just generally speaking about wellness plans. So I thought it would be good today just to dive into wellness plans generally. And we're going to look at it from a couple areas. First, we're just going to kind of talk about those strategic items in their wellness plans. Do we have a wellness plan? What kind of incentives do we award? What considerations do we even have in establishing a wellness plan? And from there, we're going to spend, as you can guess, I'm an an attorney here at Ogletree Deacons, we're going to be talking about the compliance side of things. And there are really a whole host of legal areas that we could be talking about today. But for purposes of this podcast, we're really going to focus on four specific legal areas. We're going to talk about HIPAA. We're going to talk about the ADA. We're going to talk about some tax considerations. It's an area I think sometimes employers forget about. And then we're also going to talk about a very specific Affordable Care Act compliance issue uh, with respect to wellness plans that sometimes employers don't think about or they haven't vetted the correct way. And then after that, I'm just going to note the additional laundry list of some of the legal compliance areas that you have to think about. So with that said, let's jump right into it. And so what I said in the beginning is that we're going to talk a little bit about the strategic side of wellness plans. And I think that in the event that you roll out a wellness plan or are reevaluating wellness plan design, you have to think about the strategic piece of it as well as the compliance issues. Obviously, the compliance issues are what they are, but strategically, employers need to think about why they're rolling out their wellness plans and and whether they're going to get the best bang for their buck with respect to their wellness plan. So the first thing to consider with respect to a wellness plan is, well, wellness plans are generally considered as a program to get our employee population healthy. And and what is the value of healthy employees? Well, there are a lot of studies on this, but healthy employees typically mean more productive employees it means less absenteeism, which is very important. We won't have people out on PTO. We won't have people out on disability leave or FMLA leave for their own conditions. So healthy employees are important just for our our workforce, our day-to-day workforce, having them be productive and in the office or on the, the, the line or in the field. The next step with respect to strategic analysis of our wellness plans is 
cost savings, the, the dollars associated in having a wellness plan. And I know and I understand that there are studies that go all over the place on the pure hard dollars associated with the spend and the recoupment and the value in having a wellness plan. But there are a few areas to consider. And I'm a proponent of the, the, the cost savings opportunities, generally speaking, for your employee population in having a wellness plan. The areas of cost savings that we could consider is our medical plan. Healthy employees, theoretically, and should, and studies show that healthier employees mean less cost for our group health plan. And so what does that mean? Well, if you have a fully insured program, well, that's going to mean our premiums should theoretically go down or not increase as much as as the market. If we have a self-funded health plan, then that means we're spending less dollars and we could also have some savings with our stop-loss carrier. Healthy employees from a cost perspective also means that we don't have as many people out on STD, short-term disability. So that might be a wage continuation program where, you know, as an employer, we're self-funding the program, or that could be an insured program that we're paying premiums for. Uh, similar concept with long-term disability. If we have less people on long-term disability, then we have less exposure to those LTD premiums. Third item to note is employee retention and recruiting. We are in a, a, a very tough job market these days in the sense of finding good quality employees to fill positions. And having a wellness plan shows to our current employees and shows our prospective employees that as an employer, we genuinely care about their health. And so having a wellness plan is a good tool in showing what kind of employer we are. Fourth item is anytime you have a wellness plan and you're providing incentives for participation, and we're going to talk about some of the rules with respect to incentives later, but generally speaking, we have to think about is the incentive we are providing going to drive participation? So if we're giving a $5 gift card to do something substantial, that might not drive participation. But if it's a, a reasonable activity that employees, you know, may or may not do, but if we're giving them, you know, a significant incentive, maybe it's a per paycheck premium reduction for our health plan, then, you know, that might drive participation. So you have to think about the incentive piece. And then the fifth item, the last item I wanted to note on the strategic piece of this is the communication associated with your wellness plan. And the communication is very important because it will communicate how the employer views its its, its program and, and it will influence your employee population and, and how they might view it as well. So it's one thing to communicate. We, we care about our employees and we want to provide these incentives to you for participation versus communicating. If you do not participate in this program, you will be subject to a surcharge. Very different communication. And depending on the employer, they may want to go the carrot route, or they may want to go the stick route. So those are five strategic items that I wanted to note today. That said, we're going to get into the compliance piece. And like I said, we're going to focus on four specific areas, um, and we'll go through those. One, one easy example that I'm going to keep coming back to, and I want you to have in the back of your mind as we go through this program, is a wellness plan design, which is pretty common. And in a lot of situations, it's kind of the, the first wellness plan that employers think about. If, if they're wanting to dip their toes into the wellness plan world, what employers do and what I've seen is employers go the tobacco route. And it is the 
tobacco route in the sense of maybe it's called a surcharge, maybe it's called an incentive, but it is for non-tobacco users, you get the value of the wellness plan. And if you are a tobacco user, then you may be subject to uh, the higher premium, or you might not be eligible for whatever that incentive is. So I'm going to keep coming back to that tobacco cessation program uh, type wellness plan because there are some additional special rules that I'll be talking about when I get into the legal framework. So the first compliance area, and this is an area I think most employers are pretty well on top of, is the HIPAA wellness requirements. You know, generally speaking, HIPAA does have non-discrimination rules. And so if you take into account health plan eligibility or benefits or premiums based on a health factor, that is problematic under HIPAA. However, there is a major exception for wellness plans that meet very specific requirements. And so that's what we're going to talk about here. Keep in mind, there are really two different categories of wellness plans in the HIPAA world. The first type and this is relatively easy to deal with from a compliance perspective under HIPAA, is those wellness plans that are solely participation only. So you're giving a reward solely for participation. The individuals do not have to meet any specific health factor. And in that situation, all you have to do is make the program available to all similarly situated individuals. So easy example, say you have a health fair and you open the health fair up up to all of your employees. Well, that is a participation-only program. So if you give a, you know, a mug, a water bottle, whatever, for attending that health fair, you're in the participation-only world. And as long as you have all similarly situated individuals able to participate, so all your employees can go and attend and, and get that award, then you're going to meet those requirements. Where HIPAA becomes a lot more complicated is when you have a health contingent program. And there really are two subgroups of health contingent programs, but they're both subject to uh, the five requirements that I'll talk about in a second. There are the activity only programs, and there you have an activity related to a health factor, but you don't have to meet a specific health outcome to receive the award. So what is an example of that? That is completion of a walking program. So you, know, you have to go out, say a couple times a week, and it has to be so many steps or, or, or so much time or so much of a distance. And if you complete that, then you get the reward. The other type of health contingent program is an outcomes-based program. And that is where an individual has to attain a specific health outcome for the reward. So what is an example of that? Well, that's the example I told you to keep in mind. That is the non-tobacco user. That is the tobacco cessation program. So what are the five requirements for health contingent programs? Those programs that have activities related to a health factor. Well, the first one is, and we'll jump right into the incentive piece because that's, that's the conversation uh, we typically have at the beginning is, is what is the incentive? And so what HIPAA says, and we're going to talk about the ADA in a little bit, and there's all kinds of question marks there, but under the HIPAA rules, the limitation is generally 30% of the premium. And there's a special rule for tobacco and tobacco allows you to go up to 50%. So let, let, let's put this in, you know, a real world example. Um, and we're just going to look at this solely from a HIPAA perspective. Say for example, the cost of self-only coverage under the health plan is $1,000. And say the employee portion of the premium is $100. 
In this situation, the way you analyze the incentive rule under HIPAA is you take 30% of the full premium amount. And when I say full premium amount, I'm not talking solely about the employee portion of the premium. I'm talking about the entire premium. So the incentive can be $300, up to $300, 30% of the full $1,000 premium, not 30% of the $100 employee portion of the premium. Now, there's an additional layer, and this came out of the Affordable Care Act. And that said, well, for everything that's non-tobacco, the limit is 30%, but you can go up to 50% for tobacco. So there's a lot of room for incentives there. The second item under HIPAA is that the program has to be reasonably designed to promote good health. I think that's pretty common sense. So walking programs, tobacco cessation, you know, getting your, your BMI and getting your results, those types of things, you know, reasonable design. And, and I haven't really come across many issues um, that would potentially violate that requirement. The third one is an annual opportunity. There has to be an annual opportunity for participation and the award. So again, let's go back to my t- smoking cessation program. So year one, you know, you have people fill out a form, you know, check the box. Are you a smoker? Or are you a non-smoker? Well, I'll talk about another requirement in just a second, but this has to be done on an annual basis. So your smokers, your tobacco users, each year they could change from a tobacco user to a non-tobacco user and get the incentive. But keep in mind, the fourth requirement is that the program has to be available to similarly situated individuals and there has to be a reasonable alternative standard. And tobacco cessation example, the reasonable alternative standard for somebody who is a tobacco user is that Say, for example, they participate and complete a tobacco cessation program. So that individual who said, hey, I am a tobacco user, if they would complete that reasonable alternative standard, complete that tobacco cessation program, they would be eligible for and entitled to the wellness incentive, the subsidy, uh, not being subject to the surcharge, however that is communicated. So keep that in mind. So each year, you know, you potentially could have, if you don't change your plan design, You could have somebody who just continues to use tobacco, but each year they go through that tobacco cessation program. So that might be a a reason to uh, reevaluate a wellness plan uh, on that tobacco piece, but keep that in mind that it's an annual requirement. And then the last item is that the program has to be fully communicated to folks. So that's the HIPAA piece. And and that was real quick. You know, I've done HIPAA training in in the wellness plan area uh, for a much longer period of time, but we want to just hit the highlights during this podcast. The second item that we're going to talk about is the ADA. uh, And that's where we get into disability consideration. And the ADA limits um, employers from physical examinations and disability and medical inquiries associated with, with, you know, general employment and also benefits but there is a major exception for voluntarily providing that information. And there is a special set of rules under the ADA for wellness plans. There's a long history here under uh, the ADA from the EEOC and their view of wellness plans and whether they're voluntary. And I'm not going to go into all that history, but note that it was really in 2016 where we got some regulations from the EEOC. And there, the EEOC essentially said, well, it is going to be deemed voluntary and not in violation of the ADA if you meet these very specific requirements. First of all, it has to be reasonably designed, similar to HIPAA, uh, pretty reasonable. You can't have a gateway plan. 
And, and what I mean there is that um, before the ADA came out very hard on this item, some employers were considering programs where you had to complete a specific wellness um, piece, you know, maybe completion of a health risk assessment. And if you completed that health risk assessment, you got to go into the, let's call it the gold plan. But if you didn't complete that health risk assessment or whatever that wellness piece was, then you couldn't get into that plan. That coverage option was not available to you. You had to go in the, let's call it the bronze plan. Uh, that was an ADA issue. And that's what the ADA says now is you can't have uh, gateways. Um, next item, reasonable accommodations. For those of you who are in the ADA world and, and practice in this area, you know this concept of reasonable accommodation. Pretty similar to the reasonable alternative standard that I talked about for the tobacco cessation program. Fourth item that we have to consider is a notice requirement. And, and the EEOC actually issued a model notice that you can use for this purpose. There are confidentiality requirements, um, pretty similar to HIPAA. Uh, if you're compliant with HIPAA, you're going to be pretty good there. The last one that I want to talk about is the incentive. And the incentive itself uh, has been something that's been in flux for a number of years. When the 2016 regulations came out, the incentive was set at 30% of employee-only coverage. That was the maximum. Didn't line up exactly with the HIPAA rules, which said you know up to 30% uh, could be 50% for tobacco. The ADA rules was solely 30% maximum of the employee-only coverage. While there was some litigation and it resulted in that 30% being vacated, uh, I won't go into the, all the history there. Uh, note that the Trump administration, under the Trump administration, the EEOC issued some proposed rules, including what that incentive could be. And under those rules, under the Trump administration EEOC, the maximum incentive, if the plan was linked with the group health plan, the HIPAA rules applied. So pretty workable. If the wellness plan was not linked with the group health plan, then the maximum incentive is a de minimis incentive. So we're talking about a water bottle. We're talking about a gift card of modest value, whatever that meant. But note that the Biden administration came in and withdrew these regulations. So at this point in time, we do not have clear guidance on what the incentive is under the ADA. So if you have a plan subject to the ADA, you have to be sensitive there. Keep in mind, the program is subject to the ADA if we have uh, medical inquiries, medical examinations, disability inquiries. So what's an easy example of what is or what isn't in the ADA world? Return to my tobacco cessation program. If you have a tobacco program, where you get an incentive for filling out a form, checking the box, I'm a smoker, I'm not a smoker, and that's it. That isn't in the ADA world because you're not uh, making that inquiry, you're not making that examination. If there is a blood draw associated with tobacco usage, well, that brings you into the ADA world. So you just have to be sensitive as to whether or not your wellness plan is in the ADA world. A special note for COVID vaccines, the EEOC did issue some guidance on what incentives could be provided there. If the employer is administering the COVID vaccine or using an agent, say they're contracting with a medical provider to come in and provide the vaccine to employees, then the EEOC would say, well, you can provide an incentive, but it can't be so substantial to be coercive. Not entirely sure exactly what that threshold is, but, but that's the standard. And then if the employer program is simply, look, if you show us your vaccine card 
We don't care where you get it. You can go to your local drugstore, your doctor, you can go to the stadium, wherever it's being provided, you show us our card, then you're really not in the ADA world and that incentive can essentially be whatever it is. So let's move on real quickly to tax. I just wanted to note that most wellness plans are going to be tax favored. We're talking premium reductions. We might be talking about HSA contributions. Uh, we could be talking about cost sharing product or reductions or surcharges, however you want to call it. Those are going to generally be tax favored. Where employers can get into some tax issues is if they start giving cash or gift cards. There is no de minimis rule for gift cards cash equivalents, gift certificates, whatever that is. If it's a $10 gift card, remember that that's taxable income. And so it has to be withheld on. And you have to consider other things like, you know, again, payroll, but also your, your, your retirement plan. You know, 401k contributions are tied to, quote, compensation. Uh, you could run into some issues there. So you want to make sure that you're careful if you're using things like gift cards or cash as an incentive. The fourth item I wanted to note briefly is the Affordable Care Act. Remember that, or I should point out that, for purposes of Affordable Care Act affordability under the employer mandate, there are special rules in taking into account or not taking into account wellness plan incentives. So keep in mind that generally you look at affordability under the ACA without taking into account the wellness plan incentives. You assume that the employees do not meet the requirements for the wellness. So they're paying the higher portion of the premium, not the reduced based on wellness plan participation. The only exception to this is tobacco. I mentioned before, tobacco has these special rules. So for tobacco, you can assume that the tobacco-free, the reduced amount does apply. So make sure you evaluate ACA affordability with respect to your wellness plan and the incentives or surcharges. Just note there's a whole host of other items, and, and I'm not going to go into any detail about these, but you have to consider ERISA. Your wellness plan could be an employee welfare benefit plan, and that subjects you to plan document, SPD, Form 5500 requirements. Now, we could tie that into our group, uh, or I should say our robust welfare benefit plan and take care of it there. COBRA, uh, if your wellness plan provides medical care, you know, if you're providing something like a flu shot, then you providing medical care, and you have to consider COBRA. You have to consider HIPAA. You know, there are the privacy security requirements that could apply to your wellness plan. GINA. Uh, I'm not going to talk in detail about GINA, but when we start talking about genetic information, you have to be careful. Health risk assessments uh, were definitely reevaluated a number of years ago when HRAs were asking questions about, do you have a family history of X? Because providing incentives for filling out information about genetic information is a concern. Um, and, and also, if you have participation by family members in the wellness plan, you have to consider GINA. There are also state law considerations. Some states have protections for off-duty activities. I will note that ERISA is generally going to preempt those, but not every plan is subject to ERISA, so you could have this kind of state law wrinkle. Uh, if you have uh, unions, you have to consider collective bargaining uh, implications associated with your wellness plan. And then, you know, you could have theoretical uh, age discrimination or Title VII issues pop up if we're uh, favoring or discriminating against a certain class. So you have to be careful there. So I know I covered a lot today with respect to wellness plan design, but I thought it was important to, to hit those four key items, 
from a compliance perspective to note those other compliance areas that you need to think about. And then also just, again, the strategy in rolling out a wellness plan, sometimes employers roll them out without that real deep dive into strategy. So I would encourage you to talk to your wellness plan consultants or vendors or attorneys about that strategy piece as well, to make sure that your program really does meet the needs and fits within your, your, your organization's culture to make sure that you're doing and designing a plan the way you want it to be. And, and keep in mind the communication aspect as well. You want to make sure your employees know and understand the purpose of your program and, and, and why it's being provided by you as an employer. So with that, I definitely thank you for your time. If you have any questions about wellness plans, I would encourage you to reach out to the Ogletree attorney that you normally work with. And if you do not have one of those, then please please don't hesitate reaching out to me. I'd be happy to discuss any questions that you may have. So with that, I appreciate your time. I thank you for listening and I look forward to future podcasts. So keep an eye out on future podcasts coming from Ogletree Deacons uh, under the Breaking Down Benefits podcast series. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.